to you, Lord, and praise you. And we ask, Lord, that your word of God would speak, not the words of men or the thoughts of men, but your word, Lord. Give us ears to hear what you would say to each and every one of us this morning. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Great having you here. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Lord willing, we're going to finish up Paul's letter to the Ephesian church this morning. A couple things real quick. Be praying for the college group. I think there's uh, 48 of them up in the snow right now. So be praying for them. They're having their winter retreat. And uh, more important than being in the snow, may they hear from the Lord and come back refreshed and strengthened in their walk. Uh, Gospel for Asia. Next week, one of the guys from GFA. If you're new to our church, we as a body with the church itself and then you as individuals... Together, we support about 100 Gospel for Asia missionaries. These are missionaries mainly in India who go out and plant churches, and that's really what it's all about. They're planting churches, making disciples in a nation that's 99% Hindu. So he's going to come and share for about 15 minutes next week. I know you'll be encouraged. And if you haven't read Revolution and World Missions, the books are free. I encourage you to read it. One of the most powerful books I've ever read. And then lastly, uh, the men's retreat. The forms are back there on the back table. I want to encourage you that in the past, we've always had spots up until the last minute. This year, there's 12 Calvary chapels coming, and there's only a total of 270 or something like that spots. So it's first come, first serve. If you have a desire to go, just sign up at the back table. You can just actually just take one of these and send it straight to Calvary San Jose, and that would be great if you guys could do that. We'd love to see a lot of you there. Great time to spend together uh, with the other men in our church. All right. That being said, we're going to pick up this morning in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6. And this exhortive letter being written by Paul, he's coming to the end of it. And just by quick reminder, the first three chapters, he talked about the wealth of the believer, our position in Christ, our riches in Christ. You remember from Ephesians 1, we're blessed, chosen, adopted, accepted, redeemed, forgiven, enlightened, assured. All of those things are true if you've been born again. In Ephesians 2, he told us we were once dead in sin, but now we've been made alive in Christ. We used to walk according to the, to the world and after the things of this world, but now we're being filled with the Spirit. We've been made alive in Christ. When we came to chapter 3, finishing up on our wealth, the wealth of the believer, he talked about the fact that you and I are all recipients of God's grace. That we are fellow heirs, that we're heaven bound. So the wealth of the believer, blessed, chosen, adopted, once dead in sin, now alive in Christ, and now we can see the world through eyes of grace. When we get to chapter 4, he moves from the wealth of the believer to the walk of the believer. Yes, we're born again, but that should impact how we live every day. It shouldn't just be that, okay, I'm born again and I'm, I'm, I've got all these riches, but yet I don't live it out every day. So we talk about the walk of the believer, and our belief should impact our behavior. In chapter 4, he talked about walking in humility and in unity, humbled by God's grace. When we got to the second half of chapter 4, he said that we're in the world but not of it. As Christians, we're to minister to the world but have no fellowship with it. In chapter 5, he encouraged us to intimidate the fa- or imitate the Father. How do we imitate the Father? By walking in love, by walking in purity, by walking as children of light. And then in the second half of chapter 5, he encouraged us to bring heaven home with us. Not just something we do on Sunday for an hour, but that we would be living with the Lord all day, every day. Having an eternal focus. 
having a sense of urgency in our hearts, pursuing God's will, not our own, having a heart of worship, wives submitting to their husbands, husbands submitting to their wives as, as unto the Lord. Again, husbands leading their wives and loving their wives, and that's how we show that submission to God. And then lastly, last week, we saw God's divine order at home and at work. The relationship between children and parents. God has called children to obey their parents. That's not a suggestion, it's a command. And if you disobey your parents, you're disobeying God. And the word for children is all children who remain in the home of their parents. But parents are to love and discipline and train up their children. And then lastly, we saw the relationship between employers and employees. That employees were to do our work as unto the Lord. Whether you're bagging groceries or you're the president of the company, you ought to be doing it for Jesus. Amen? And we ought to be the best example in the building. And people ought to, every employer ought to want 100 more employees just like you. And if you're, you are an employer, you ought to treat your employees the way the Lord would have you to treat them. With kindness. Again, reflecting the Lord to them. So we've seen the wealth of the believer and the walk of the believer. And this morning, in these last final verses, we're now going to see the warfare of the believer. Because the truth is, That as we walk with the Lord, as we understand the wealth we have in Him, you can be assured that you're going to face spiritual warfare. Satan has a hit list. Did you know that? And if you're walking with the Lord, your name's on it. Now, you know what? That's one place where I'm glad. Amen? Because it means that God's using me and God's using you. Christianity is a battleground, not a playground. And it's not a cruise ship on the way to heaven, but a battleship anchored at the gates of hell. And the truth is that you and I are in a spiritual battle every single day. I believe one of the main reasons so many Christians struggle in their daily walk, whether it be with personal purity or in their marriages, in their families, at school, in their work environment, the reason they struggle with emotional stability, with fear, anxiety, worry, depression struggle being diligent and disciplined, struggle using their spiritual gifts, having a lack of the fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, kindness, is so often because we're fighting the wrong enemy and we're doing it in our own power. Too often we're fighting the wrong enemy and we're trying to do it in our own power. We're using the wrong weapons, the wrong equipment, without the true source of spiritual energy and encouragement and strength. So this morning, I'm going to encourage all of you so that when you walk out of here, my prayer would be that you'd stop fighting the wrong enemy and you'd stop doing it on your own. Amen? Your wife is not your enemy. Amen? That was really weak. Some of you are going, well, I'm not so sure. You haven't been to my house. You don't know what she cooked me for dinner last night, Pastor Dave. The key is that we need to identify who the enemy really is as well as some of his favorite tactics. We're going to see that this morning. We're also going to see the right weapons for warfare, the right equipment for warfare. Again, it's not you trying harder. How does that work out? I'm just, you know, I've determined in my mind. How many of you have already broken a New Year's resolution? I'm determining in my mind from now on, and then a week, two days later, an hour later. I won't do that ever again, right? Because we try to do it in our power instead of in His. And the reason so many people struggle is trying to do it on their own. And so we're going to see the right equipment and weapons for battle and the true sources of spiritual growth. So if you're taking notes, winning the spiritual battle is the title of the message. Winning the spiritual battle. How do we do that? 
One, we identify the real enemy and his tactics. Identify the real enemy and his tactics. Number two, by being equipped with the whole armor of God. We'll go in depth and look at that. And then lastly, by tapping into the true sources of spiritual energy, encouragement, and strength for the battle. So let's begin in verse 10 of winning the spiritual battle. First, by identifying the real enemy and his tactics. Now I want to say this, and then we'll look at verse 10. As Christians, we have three enemies we've seen so far in Ephesians. The first one that is mentioned is the world. Now, that doesn't mean the people in the world. It means the worldly system that's opposed to God. The worldly system that encourages the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, that attempts to draw you back into your old way of life, a life with no thought for God. It can easily be said that a society apart from God is an accurate definition of the world. So we, we live in the world, and that's one of the things that can draw us away from God. The second thing is our flesh. The Bible says we have to put our flesh to death daily. Our old, self-centered, sinful nature that is opposed to God, that can do nothing to please God. Back in Ephesians 2, he says this, And, he, and you he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also you all were once conducted yourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So the enemies are the world, not the people in the world. Again, let's make that clear. They're our mission field, not our enemies. Amen? People are our mission field and not our enemies. So we need to reach out to them in love to see them saved. But the world and its system is one enemy. Our flesh, and then finally the one we're going to look at this morning, the devil himself. And we're going to see that he indeed is the prince of the power of the air. Look at verse 10. It says there, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Finally, my brethren. Okay, he's coming to the close of this letter. This letter written from prison to these precious people in Ephesus, a church he had once pastored. He writes to them to encourage them in the midst of the world around them and the fleshly desires they were struggling with, the idolatry, the sexual immorality, to remember that their riches were not in the world but in Christ and to remember how those riches were to impact their lives. And now he's going to exhort them about the spiritual battle that's going on all around them. Finally, my brethren, my brothers and sisters in Christ, be strong in the Lord and in the power of of his might. The strength that we need to win the spiritual battle does not come from our fleshly abilities, our fleshly efforts, our fleshly commitments, or our fleshly resolutions. Guys, it's not you making up your mind to do better. Doesn't work. I'm going to step on a few toes, but it won't be the first time. I want to encourage you guys, it's not setting up a program or setting up new steps or, or reading a new self-help book that's going to change you. It's falling in love with Jesus Christ and dying to yourself that will change you. Amen? Amen? Coming to the place where you realize that without Him, you can do nothing. Not making yourself better, but instead dying to yourself completely, less of you and more of Him, and that's when God will do great and awesome things. So many today attempt to win the battle with their struggles and sinful behavior 
to their own fleshly efforts. And when we do that, we're going to be whipped every time. You know, Satan, again, as I said before, Satan is a, is a mighty, and in one sense, foe. But he's a defeated one. He's mighty when you do it in your flesh. You cannot defeat him. It's impossible. He will smoke you every time. You know what he wants to do? He wants you to get him fighting him from your flesh. Because then he knows he's got you. If he can get you to fight the battle in your fleshly ability, he knows he will take you down every single time. But you know what? When we come to him in the power of the Holy Spirit, we don't come to him, but when he comes and attacks us, he'll lose every single time because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. In our fleshly efforts, the enemy will win every time. And this is why we must, again, fight our battles, not in our strength, but in the strength of the Lord. While the war has been won, Jesus defeated sin, death, and the grave. We, we now fight from victory and not for it. But at the same time, in this fallen planet, we still face temptation every day. How many of you face temptation all the time? If your hand's not up, you're asleep. Amen? We face temptation all day long, and the closer we get to the Lord, the more easily we recognize it. And isn't the sad thing, the sad truth is that we fall for temptation every single day, don't we? Isn't that true? What's the answer? We do. Temptation comes, we know it's the enemy, and yet often, hopefully not always, and hopefully less and less, as we walk with God, often we just choose to fall for temptation and reject what the Lord has told us. Because we're doing it in our own power and in our own might. My prayers again as we continue through this chapter this morning, that our lifestyle will change in such a way that we'll stop trusting in ourselves and start putting our faith completely in God because we may not be sinless, but we should sin less. Amen? The Lord's power, the strength of His of His Spirit, the truth of His Word are needed for victory because without Him we can do nothing. But Philippians 4.13, my wife's favorite verse, says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? Amen. And we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So to win the spiritual battle, our strength and our power must only be in Him. As it says there, in the power of His might. Not my intellect, not my efforts, not my fortitude, not my desire to try harder, but coming to the end of myself, being desperate for Him, and giving Him the throne of my life. And here's how we do it. How do we have power in His might? Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. Now, the word put on there, in the original language, conveys a permanence. This isn't something we should be taking off like our jacket. Amen? You don't put on the armor of God and then, you know, temptation comes and it's something that sounds really good, so lose it for a while. And then bring God back after we're convicted. And, you know, a lot of Christians kind of live their life that way. You know, you're on the the roller coaster ride of salvation. And, you know, again, as Christians, it should not be so. Indicating, again, this armor should be a Christian sustained lifelong attire. The word for whole armor there. And again, in the original language, means the full, complete armor, not just part of it. Not just the parts you like. As we go through the whole armor of God, if we leave one piece off, believe me, the enemy will know it, and that's where he'll come from. You leave one area of your life left unguarded, that's exactly where the enemy will come in and attack you. 
So we need all of the armor of God. And as we will see in a few verses, the shield, the sword, the breastplate, the helmet, the belt, and the shoes, because the enemy is going to attack you with every resource that he has. Now it says there, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now on our own, as I said before, we're no match for the devil. But guess what? In the Lord, in His strength, in His power, clothed in His armor, we can stand against anything the enemy has to dish out. Guys, this verse is an encouragement. You will be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We can stand, amen? Amen. We can. It's not a pipe dream. We absolutely can. We absolutely can walk in the center of God's will if we allow Him to rule and reign in our life. Now, wiles of the devil. What does that mean? The word, again, in the original language means cunning, deceit, and trickery. Let me talk to you about Satan for a second. We don't talk about him a lot. If he's in the text, we do. But the Bible sure talks about him a lot. And let me talk to you about Satan for a moment. He's doomed, damned, and defeated, and bound for eternity in hell. Did you know that? So does he. So does he. And because he knows that, he's not going down without a fight. You know what else? He's very effective at what he does. He's not all-knowing. God alone is all-knowing. Amen? Omniscience. All-knowing. Only God is all-knowing. Satan is not the opposite of God. He can't touch God. Amen? He's nowhere near God. He's the opposite of anything. Maybe Michael the archangel, right? He was a powerful angel in heaven until he was cast down. But we know this about Satan, that while he's not omnipresent, he's not omniscience, all-knowing, he's not all-present, and he's not all-powerful, he still knows human nature. He's been watching humanity for thousands of years. He was in the garden with Adam and Eve, right? The serpent. And he knew the heart of men. You know why? Because he fell for the very same things that man would fall for when he was prideful in heaven and tried to overthrow the throne of grace and become God himself and was cast out. And now that he's been cast down, he wants to take as many people with him. Misery loves company, and Satan is the chief of it, right? He wants people to worship him. He wanted to be worshipped in heaven. And if he can't be worshipped in heaven, then he says, well, let me be worshipped on earth. And so, you know, can I encourage you? The music we listen to is one of the main things Satan will use, youth group, to draw us away from the Lord. Amen? Amen. Satan loves to be worshipped. And when we listen to music that honors God, amen? amen? Again, I'm not, if you feel okay listening to secular music, then God bless you. But can I encourage you that I know my life is different when I'm listening to worship music in my car than if I'm listening to anything else. Amen? Draws me to the presence of the Lord. Helps me in my walk with Him. So guess what? He knows the nature of man. He knows what kind of weaknesses we have. He cannot read your thoughts, regardless of what men might tell you. Satan can't read your thoughts. He's not God. But he knows the heart of man, and he knows what we will fall for. And while he isn't present everywhere, he still has a lot of help. We're going to see that in the next verse. Now, devil means accuser. You know what he's doing right now? He's at the throne accusing the brethren. So the Bible says, day and night, he's accusing us. You know what breaks my heart? 
is that I do things that give him ammunition to go stand before the Father and make accusations about his kids. Doesn't that break your heart? I think about that. I think, Lord. Now the good news is we've been made clean through the blood of Christ. Amen? Amen. And seated at the right hand of the Father, that's for, Jesus saying, that's forgiven. I've forgiven that. I paid the price for that. For that. I've forgiven that. His name is also Satan. Not only is he the accuser, But Satan means adversary because he is the enemy of God. Satan is the enemy of God. I've heard people say they pray for Satan's salvation. Too late. Satan is not going to get saved. Amen? And you know what? We're to love God and love people, but it's okay to hate the devil. Amen? The Lord hates him and so do I. I don't care for him. And I don't care for what he's doing. And he is the adversary. He is the enemy of Almighty God. He's also called the tempter, as he likes to draw us away. He's called the murderer, the chief of liars. Hey, keep that in mind next time you try to go to tell a lie. Who's the truth? Jesus. And who's the father of lies? So when you tell a lie, you are being Satan-like. Ouch. And when you're telling the truth, you're being Christ-like. Lies are not something to be taken lightly. I don't care how many times your friends lie, we shouldn't. Amen? We should be speaking the truth and speaking it in love. The Bible also calls Satan a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Satan wants to do one thing, kill you. He wants to destroy you. You know, I was just watching a special on TV the other day about Columbine. You know, these guys were totally into this Totally satanic music. You know, the music they're listening to, going to go to my school and blow people away. And the people are amazed that they went to their school and blew people away. That's the enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. You know when Satan really has won another great battle for him? It's suicide. You ever contemplate suicide? Know where that's coming from. That's not from God. That's from the enemy. Amen? He wants to destroy you. And if he cannot destroy you, he wants to make you as ineffective for the kingdom of God as he possibly can. Be lukewarm, he'll leave you alone. I hope he never leaves me alone. Amen? Because that means I'm not walking for God. I'm not having an impact on the world around us. Not only is he a roaring lion seeking me to devour, he's a serpent. You know, in, the, in, the, in Genesis, serpents had legs. Did you know that? Because it says after... Satan used a serpent as a tool to deceive Eve. He says, down on your belly you will go. So next time you see him down on his belly, remember that that's where the enemy is too. That's where he belongs. We also see that he's an angel of light. Satan will not show up most often with a pitchfork in his hand and horns growing out of his head saying, follow me to hell. (laughs) Not a lot of people going for that program, right? Uh, No thanks. I'll let that go by today, right? You know what he'll do instead? He'll appear as something that looks good that will still lead to the same place. He'll show up looking like an angel of light. By the way, Satan doesn't hate religion. He loves it. You know why? Because most of what is called religion today is not worshiping the true and living God, but is in a roundabout way or directly worshiping the enemy. He loves the Islamic faith. He loves the Muslim faith. He loves the New Age movement. He loves 
Mormonism, the Jehovah's Witness, he loves all of those things. Why? Because they do not worship the true and living God. And you're either for him or you're against him, the Bible says. We're either followers of God or enemies of him. And if we're enemies of God, whose camp are we in? Pastor Dave, are you trying to tell me that if you are a, a Muslim, you're worshiping Satan? Yes. Pastor Dave is so direct. The Word of God. Guys, now does that, so does, what does that mean? When we, go to, when we go to India, I believe it's very clear from Scripture that behind every idol that is worshipped is, is a demon. I absolutely believe that to be true. Now that means that when people are on their knees worshipping the elephant god, who are they worshipping? They're worshipping the enemy. Now, do I say this to be arrogant or self Absolutely not. I say it out of brokenness that we need to have a burden for those who are lost. Amen? The reason that we live and move and breathe is to worship God and then to perform the Great Commission, which is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. I told you in India this last trip that we went up to this shrine in India and this guy was on his knees with an orange in his hand, weeping, tears running down his face, face marked up in front of this big elephant. And I just, man, I, my heart just broke. And I didn't have an interpreter with me. And I just, I, and you know what, I find myself praying for him almost every day. Because here he is crying out to a God who only wants to destroy him. When the true and living God held out his hands and said, I love you this much, come unto me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest, amen? I'll give you peace, I'll give you hope. And so Satan is a serpent and he appears as an angel of light. He's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he'll get into your life in whatever way he can. Again, most often not with a pitchfork. Sometimes through music, through video games, through a neighbor, through books you like to read, whatever it might be. And it may not even appear like something satanic, but just something to get your eyes off of God. Something to get you to quit pursuing that which is best by pursuing something that which is less. And again, we need to be careful to make sure that God alone is the priority in our life. He is the God of this age. This one-time angel and worshiper of God who pridefully attempted to overthrow God was thrown from heaven. And a third of the angels went with him. He's out right now seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. Remember this, the Lord loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, amen? amen? Satan hates you and wants to destroy you. That's an absolute fact. Now, you guys know, we're not to give Satan too much credit. We don't walk around in fear of Satan all day. We shouldn't do that. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. But at the same time, we need to recognize that he does exist. And that he has tactics that he loves to use to get to our children, to get into our homes, to get into our marriages. Sometimes it's through that window into hell in the corner of our living room we call TV. Amen? Amen. Now I have a TV at home and I watch sports and stuff. I'm, I'm not, but I'm just saying we need to be careful what we light up and have glowing into our homes. Amen? We need to be careful what kind of things that we're allowing to influence us because the enemy is not stupid. He knows what our weaknesses are, and that's exactly where he will attack us. He wants to bring as many 
of the lost with him to hell as he possibly can. And he wants to render Christians completely ineffective in their walk, in their witness. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your marriage. When I do marriage counseling, I can tell you that nine times out of ten, whether it comes out of my mouth or not, I'll look across the table and say, that's the enemy at work. Isn't it amazing the stupid things we will fight about in marriage? Who says amen to that? Which way the toilet paper roll went? And the enemy's just going, you know what I mean? I'm going to just turn the microwave up a bit so I can fry his dinner, and then he'll get mad, and then they'll, you know, right? I mean, and again, I don't know how detailed it gets, but the point is that the enemy wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your walk with God. He hates that you have intimate fellowship with the Lord. He doesn't want you at church on Sunday. You ever notice how things fall apart whenever it's time for church? When I was a youth pastor, it was on Tuesday nights down in Southern California, and I could tell you I would drive into my driveway, and I knew it was Tuesday. Because I was supposed to be going to youth group, and always, you know, everything was falling apart. I had four small children at the time, and everything was going wrong. And I go, man, it must be Tuesday. God must want to do something great at youth group tonight, amen? The enemy does, wants to destroy your walk, and he wants to destroy your testimony. He wants to render you ineffective, so you can't witness to other people. He wants your walk to be such a disaster that people will mock God, rather than having a walk so on fire for God that people want to know the God that you know. So what does Satan love? He hates you. You know what he loves? He loves sin. He loves blasphemy. He loves pride. He loves lying. He loves fornication. He loves adultery. He loves homosexuality. He loves gossip. He loves suicide. He loves sorcery. He loves drunkenness. He loves drug use. He loves ungodly music. And he loves every false religion on the planet. That's what Satan loves. What does he hate? Above all, he hates God. And then he hates you. He hates worship. He hates evangelism. He hates God's word. He hates marriage. He hates godly godly parenting. He hates it when you use your gifts. He hates the cross of Christ. He hates communion. And he hates the Lamb's book of life. But guess what? He can't change any of it. Amen? Amen? God is still faithful. God is still in control. And you know what he really hates? That his time is running out. His time's running out. And I believe he's turning it up a notch. He'll do whatever he can to keep you ineffective trying to draw you away with temptation. And I believe even sometimes blessing you, you know, trying or or in some way influencing your financial gain to the point where you're so, quote, blessed or so distracted by worldly things that you're ineffective for the kingdom. Sometimes we can be doing so well in the world that we're no longer desperate for God. You know, when we or in laying down in the green pastures, we forget where our master is. But when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, we're hanging on to him real tight. Amen? And sometimes the enemy just wants to put you in green pastures. So how can he do all this when he's not omnipresent? How can he do everything I just said when he's not omnipresent? Well, look at verse 12. For we, wrestle, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We're in a battle, but it isn't a physical one, but a spiritual one. Again, it's not against your wife, your boss, your teacher, your sibling, 
the government. Amen? Amen? That's not your enemy. Our enemy is not in the physical, and neither are our weapons. 2 Corinthians, it says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down of strongholds. It's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And so it's not a physical battle we fight. It's not a physical enemy we fight. It's a spiritual battle we fight. And we must use spiritual weapons to be victorious in that battle. Amen? In a moment, we're going to go through what those weapons are. But look what it says here. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. What does this mean? What are principalities and powers and evil evil rulers of darkness? These are not Santa's helpers. These are Satan's helpers. And each of them is a different rank in the demonic realm. Powers, principalities. Each of those are different ranks among the demons themselves. Remember that a third of the angels fell from heaven. How many is that? I don't know. But I have an idea. It's millions. Because the Bible talks about the angels, thousands of ten thousands, times ten thousands of thousands, worshiping God. And so if a third of them fell, how many is that? There's a lot of them that are, again, enlisted in Satan's army. These different ranks, I believe, again, according to what we see in Scripture, have specific states or cities or homes or even churches that they're in charge of. The Bible talks about you know, the different princes or powers over different nations. You'll see them listed sometimes in God's Word. And what's interesting is, and I've said this before, that Satan I don't, is not omnipresent, he's not all-knowing, so I don't believe he knows everybody by name. I really don't believe that. I don't know how many people are on the planet, how many billions, I don't know, what is it, six or seven or something like that. However many there are, I don't believe Satan knows everybody's name. But I do believe that he knows Billy Graham's name and Chuck Smith's name, amen? And the missionaries who are being used mildly by God. And I've said this before, how would you like to be so on fire for God that Satan knows your name? Some of you say, well, I want to be so on fire for God that he almost knows my name. <laughs> kind of knows a little about me, but he doesn't really know my name. You know what? Maybe we be so on fire for God that we're on the hit list. Amen? Because here's the good news. God is still in control and Satan can't do anything if God doesn't allow it. Amen? And, great, and we, have not, we don't need to fear him. We can walk victoriously in the Lord. So what are these powers and principalities? What is their design? What is their plan? They all have one common goal. To knock the Christian down, to tempt you, to render you ineffective, to wreak havoc in your home and in your marriage. You know what, I'm saying all this because I pray that the next time that you start to argue with your wife over something stupid, you'll realize where it's coming from. Amen? I've done that with my wife. We started, I go, that is the enemy. Why are we arguing over, we, we can't even forget, remember what it was we were talking about. Isn't it amazing? I've talked to people in counseling sessions that have been mad at each other for a week, and I said, so originally, what were you talking about? And they look at each other. I don't know, I don't know. Right? You know what I mean? And that's what happens. May we next time realize, where, again, the source can just be plain you. Amen? Sometimes it's just my flesh. It's just plain me. Devil didn't make you do it, you did it yourself. Amen? Devil can't make you do anything. He can tempt you, but you've got to choose to do it yourself. 
So these hosts of wickedness in heavenly places contrast again the angels in heaven. There indeed is a battle going on around us. I believe why we're having church is a battle going on all around us even right now. And you might say, Pastor Dave, I've never heard you talk like this before. You know, it's, wow, that's pretty weird. <laughs> Let me read something to you from the Bible, 2 Corinthians. Do you remember the story? The armies were surrounding Elisha and his men. They were outnumbered. It was a huge, massive army. And one of the young men that was with Elisha said, we're done. What in the world are we going to do? Elisha, why are you continuing to have faith in the middle of this? And then Elisha, it says in 2, Corinthians chapter, or 2 Kings chapter 6, And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. It's a spiritual battle that we fight, you guys. Amen? And, our, and the army of God is greater. And the battle's already been won. And we need to realize that indeed it is a spiritual battle. So Satan and his helpers indeed are a powerful foe. How do you and I stand against them? Now that we've identified the enemy, let's look at the equipment that God has called us to, to arm ourselves with so that we can stand against the enemy. You can't stand against him in your own fortitude or your own efforts or your own fleshly will. No matter how determined you are, you'll fall. So the Lord gives us some clear instruction. Look at verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Paul again emphasizes the necessity of the Christian to appropriate God's full armor by taking it up and putting it on. We cannot win the spiritual battle without preparation. Let me say that again. We cannot win the spiritual battle without preparation. You know what? If you don't do this already, spend every day this next week spending the first half an hour of your day in prayer and in the Word and see how different your week goes. You prepare and begin your day with the Lord and you'll be amazing how different you are driving through traffic. You'll be amazed how different you are when the boss gives you something at work or things start to go sideways when you've began your day with the Lord. We must begin first with preparation. Why? It says there in verse 13, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in that evil day and having done all to stand. That you may be able to withstand in that evil day, the day of temptation, the day of Satan's full force attack against you. We must be ready and armored up at all times for the enemy's full attack. Now I want to say this. Notice that he doesn't send us hunting for Satan. Do you see that anywhere in Scripture? The Bible very clearly to me tells me that we're not even to address Satan. We don't want to talk to him. We don't rebuke him. We don't make claims against him. We don't tell him what to do. We let God do that. Amen? You and I need to be focused on the Lord and seeking after God alone. We don't hunt down Satan. We remain, again, unhindered by the attacks by simply keeping our eyes on the Lord. Too often I hear people getting really arrogant in the way they talk, and they'll talk to Satan. I'm I'm just going to talk to God let God take care of him, amen? I'm not praying enough. I don't have time to be addressing Satan. How about you? I need to pray more. I need to spend more time addressing the one who's already defeated him. He says in verse 14, Stand therefore. 
Again, maintain your ground, not yielding or fleeing in the face of the enemy's attack. You know what's interesting? As we're going to go through the whole armor of God, every one of these weapons is something that goes on the front. Every one of them. Weapons, now the helmet will guard your back as well, but they go on the front. Why is that significant? Because we're not to be running away from the enemy, amen? We don't attack and we let God take care of him, but we're able to stand because the Lord is standing with us. So what are some of these armaments that we need to be able to stand against the temptation and the wiles and the treachery and the attacks of the enemy? Look what it says. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Girding, they, would, they wore robes or gowns, I don't know what you would call it, but they wore robes in those days. And when they would get into a battle, they would pull up the edges of their robe and they would stick them in their belt, girding their loins, they would call it, so they could free themselves up to move quickly. Can you imagine running a marathon in a judge's robe? Went down past your feet. You'd be on your face all day long, right? So they needed the, this belt to gird their loins so they'd be able to freely move and move quickly. Now, without the belt, the belt which held everything else together... The belt is what held all the other armor in place and allowed us to move freely. And what does the belt represent? Truth. Guys, if we don't have the truth, might as well just stop. Amen? It all begins with the truth. The belt of truth. You need to know that the Word of God is the truth. Amen? All of it. Not just the parts you like. The heaven part I know is true. And the grace part, that's got to be true. And not being unequally yoked with my unsaved boyfriend, I'm not so sure about that one. Not being drunk with wine, oh, come on, lighten up. And often people do that with God's Word. They pick and choose. But guys, it's got to start with the truth, amen? And who is the way, the truth, and the life? Jesus Christ. And so the truth is where it all starts. Without truth, we'd fall flat on our faces in the battle every single time. It's hard to stand on the truth if we don't study it, amen? Can I encourage you? Spend time in God's Word. So, we need to be girded with the truth. Remember again that Satan is the father of lies, and Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And by standing on the truth of who we are in Christ, we won't be tripped up by the lies of the devil. Amen? If you remember who you are in the Lord, you won't so, be so easily tripped up when the enemy lies to you and tempts you. And tries to draw you away. Remember who you are in Christ. Remember what He's done for you. Remember that He loves you so much He'd rather die than live without you. Remember that you are His treasured possession. Remember that the cross of Christ is the truth. That He suffered and died. Remember that He rose from the dead. Remember that He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And remember that He's coming back for you soon. Amen? In light of all of that truth, when the enemy comes to temptation, bro, get away from me. Get away from me. Why? Because I know the truth. And truly the truth does set us free. Amen? So we need to be girded with the truth, but also having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now this breastplate was made of either metal plates or chains, and it covered the body from neck to waist, and it, pro and it provided protection for the vital organs. Guys, we can no sooner battle against spiritual enemies in our own righteousness than a soldier could effectively fight without a breastplate. Whose righteousness do we need to be successful? The Lord's, not ours. Amen? We need to be clothed in His righteousness, not ours. It's not our trying to do right to be 
standing right before God, but coming broken over our sin and being clothed in His righteousness instead. I can stand before you and tell you that I am holy. But if you ask my wife or my kids, they'll tell you not because of my actions. Amen? But I'm holy because of this action. Amen? And it's putting on the breastplate of righteousness, being clothed in righteousness that, again, protects us from the attacks of the enemy. It's not our righteousness that protects us, but the Lord's. So girded with the truth of the gospel and our righteous standing before the Lord. Verse 15. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You know what's interesting? The gospel is referred to as your shoes. And I find that interesting because it's a foundation. The gospel provides footing for all that we do. Amen? If we don't have a sure foundation of the gospel, we're going to fall down every single time. And God's called us to put our feet to our faith and to share our faith with the world around us. Without shoes, can you imagine fighting in a battle with no shoes on? You would not last very long. You'd be walking around you know, like this all the time and someone would stab you. But we need to have our, our feet prepared. Our feet shod with the gospel. As Christians, we stand on the good news of the gospel. It says there, the gospel of peace. Guys, how do you get peace in your life? There's only one way. To the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through knowing the Prince of Peace. Peace is not the absence of war. It's right standing before God through the person of Jesus Christ. There's no other way you're going to have peace. You won't have peace no matter how much money you have in the bank, if all your bills are paid, if all your kids are doing great, if your marriage is doing wonderful, if you just got a promotion at work, you still won't have peace if you don't have Jesus Christ. Amen? We keep trying to find it other ways, but there's only one way to find it. So notice that he speaks here of readiness to share our faith, that peace within when we're surrounded by conflict, a readiness to share our faith, to point people to the Prince of Peace. Verse 16, above all, taking on the shield of faith. Faith is represented as a shield. What does a shield do? It protects us from the fiery darts of the enemy. What does the enemy want to do? Bring you down. How are you able to stand when the enemy brings accusation? By having faith. Amen? It's faith that quenches the fiery darts. they are persistent efforts by our demonic foes to weaken us through fear, unbelief, and doubt. That's one of Satan's greatest tactics. Fear, unbelief, and doubt. Get you to doubt that God really loves you. Get you to question whether or not God's really real. Oh, he didn't really... Or, did God really say? Isn't what he told Eve? Did God really say? He questioned the word of God. That's what Satan loves to do. These shields were four feet by two feet. They were made of wood. They were covered with leather. And they could be interlocked to make a wall to protect them from spears and darts. Faith is a trust in the power of the promises of God. Peter would later mention spiritual warfare and speak about this faith. He said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom may devour. Resist him, be steadfast in your faith. Fear, anxiety, and worry are all the opposite of faith. When you're afraid, you've forgotten who's in control. When you're anxious, 
You don't really believe that God's going to come through. When you're worried, you're doubting the sovereignty of Almighty God. Guys, when we have faith, we won't be afraid. We have faith, we won't be worried. We have faith, we won't be anxious. We have faith, we'll be at peace. Amen? With Almighty God. And so when you get up, you not only need to have the belt of truth, not only the breastplate of righteousness walking in His righteousness, not only your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel standing upon the truth, but also that shield of faith because the enemy's coming. And again, notice, it's ready for when he attacks you. Being prepared. Then verse 17. Over last of verse, verse 16, sorry. Taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. I love that the shield of faith doesn't just deflect them, but quenches them. I like that. Puts the fire out, amen? When you have faith, the fire dies down. I don't believe that, man. God's in control. And just keep going, right? Enemy will move on to somebody else, right? It quenches the fiery darts. Verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation. Satan wants to make us doubt God, His Word, and our salvation. And often, he will attack us in our mind. He'll get us to doubt logically. What? How did he get all those animals on a boat anyway? You really believe that? You really believe that? All the animals on a big boat. Okay, yeah, right, right? You know what? All those animals were on that boat, amen? It absolutely happened. He rose from the dead. Come on, somebody stole the body or something. No, he's a risen and living Savior. You go to Israel with us next month, we'll show you the tomb. He's empty, amen? He's not there anymore. He's a risen and living Savior. So Satan will try to bring doubt into your mind. And the helmet refers to the mind that's controlled by God. We're to serve God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. You don't put a helmet on, you know what you are? Dead. Wide open. Now I want to say this. As Christians, we don't check our brains at the door. Amen? How many people tell me, you Christians just have blind faith? No, I don't have blind faith. I have logical faith, amen? The Word of God makes sense. You scientists keep changing your mind. Word of God's same yesterday, today, and forever, amen? They keep looking for Cro-Magnon man. I don't need Cro-Magnon man, I've got the Son of Man, amen? Behold the man, amen? Almighty God. And all, they keep changing their mind and changing their thought. We don't have to change anything. Just keep believing the same God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? That's who our faith is in. And we don't check our brains at the door. We don't believe in spite of the evidence. That would be superstition. You know what? I love the Bible. I love the Old Testament. We were looking at it on last week in Isaiah where it says, He set upon the circumference of the earth, or the circle of the earth. That was written when everybody thought the world was flat. Some of the greatest scientists thought the world was on the back of a turtle. So much for them, amen? The circumference of the earth, if you just read the Bible, you would know it wasn't flat, amen? Hercules is not holding up the globe. It's the Lord who has it in His hands, amen? Now, I want to say this. I'm not... We have on-fire godly scientists, amen? Aren't you glad? Because they use... Science is... Who's omniscience? The Lord is. Amen? Who created science? God did. And we can use it to prove that, again, He is God. He's the one who's in charge. You can look at a strand. We have that Pastor Webb do this sometime. Pastor Chris. You go through and look at a strand of DNA and tell me how that happened by chance. 
Stop it already, amen? You talk about faith? You got to have more faith to believe that, you know, lightning hit a puddle and it went from the goo to the zoo to you than believe in Jesus Christ, amen? It takes a lot more faith to believe that. And we don't check our brains at the door. We study to show ourselves approved. And we know what's going on around us. And all of it, his story is his story, amen? It all points to Jesus Christ, every single bit of it. God wants us to use our intellect as it plays a vital role in our Christian growth. When God controls our mind, Satan cannot lead us astray. He loves to attack you in your mind, to doubt and question God. Many are led away by pursuing the vain and worldly philosophies of men. We're not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly, amen? I really don't care what ungodly men have to say about anything. Did you know that? I really don't care. People say, well, Pastor Dave, you could learn so much. Not really. He needs to learn something, amen? He needs to be saved. Einstein can't teach me anything. Now, again, I'm not saying that there aren't some formulas or whatever you can use in science. That's great. But that guy needs Jesus, and that's really what it's all about when we get right down to it, amen? I'd rather sit and listen to somebody who loves God and knows God give me godly counsel about anything than listen to the, quote, most brilliant man on the planet who doesn't know God because he's spiritually dead. Put on the helmet of salvation, and then lastly, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, we're going to see that this is the only offensive weapon listed in the uh, armor of God, but we're going to see another offensive weapon comes right after it, not listed in the armor of God. But notice this, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. This is the weapon that we use that reminds us that when the enemy attacks, this is what we use to defend ourselves. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, how did he defend himself? He kept saying three words. It is written. It is written. It is written. Satan says, come up. It is written. Do that. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When he tried to get him to turn rocks into bread... When Satan tempts us, we should be able to respond with the Word of God. Amen? It is written. And that is the sword that we use. It's interesting, the word for sword there speaks of a little two-edged sword carried by Roman soldiers that they could wield with deadly accuracy. It was difficult to approach a soldier who had one of these in his hand because he would wipe you out. And it's interesting, too, that Hebrews says... For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerns and thoughts and intents of the heart. A material sword pierces the body, but this sword right here pierces the spirit and the soul. Amen? This word of God, you can read it and man, you just get cut to the quick. It divides and cuts open and shows us the intent of our heart. And this is the offensive weapon that we are to use in the spiritual battle. How do we win the spiritual battle? By being equipped with the whole armor of God. The belt, knowing the truth. The breastplate, walking in righteousness, right standing before God. Having the shoes, a burden for the lost and the gospel. The shield of faith, extinguishing the darts of doubt. The helmet of salvation, serving God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the sword, rightly dividing the word of truth. And guess who every one of these pieces of armor points to? I'll give you one guess. Come on now, what's the answer? Whenever I ask a question like that, you know the answer, right? It's always going to be Jesus, amen? Who's the truth? 
Jesus Christ. Who's our righteousness? Jesus Christ. Who is the one who's the good news of the gospel? Jesus Christ. Who is the one that makes our faith possible? Jesus Christ. Who is our salvation? Jesus Christ. Who is the word? Jesus Christ. The whole armor of God. Put Jesus on. Amen? Put on Jesus. Be clothed in Him. Walk in Him. And you'll be able to withstand anything the enemy wants to dish out. Let me finish this up. I know I'm running late, but God bless you guys. The Niners and Raiders are done anyway, so where are you going? Amen? <laughs> verse, verse 18. We need to tap into the spiritual source. Just a few minutes here. Look what it says. So not only do we have the, the offensive weapon of the sword, but look at this. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Here is another of the greatest weapons that we are to use in the spiritual battle. Not only the Word of God, the sword, but also prayer. The Bible says pray without ceasing, but this is the will of God. Often prayer is the deciding factor. Prayer doesn't change God's mind, it changes our hearts. And he says here two types of prayer. Prayer, which is in general, and then supplications, which are specific. Praying for specific things. God desires that we would pray specifically. You know what, I love to pray specifically because then I get to see God answer in a specific way. Amen? God bless all the people in the world, that's okay, but how are you going to know when He answers it? Amen? Lord, I want to see my next door neighbor saved, open his eyes to the truth, and give me an opportunity today to share with them. Watch God answer that prayer. Amen? The armor goes into action, the action of prayer and supplication. Putting into exercise the truth and our righteousness and the gospel and our faith as we pray, as we submit to God in prayer. He says there, and who do we pray for? For all the saints. You can do spiritual battle not just for yourself, but on behalf of others. Could you, I, please do spiritual battle for me, I'll take it, amen? Don't you love it when people are praying for you? There's few things in the world I love more than when people tell me they're praying for me. Verse 19, and for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may, be, may, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. He says, pray for all the saints and for me. This is the Apostle Paul sitting in prison, writing this letter of encouragement, and then ask them to pray for what? Pray that they let me out. Is that his prayer? Pray that they deliver me. Why haven't you guys gotten some swords together and come out here and got me out of here? Pray that I'll have something decent to eat. Pray. He doesn't, you know what he says? Give me boldness. I'm in prison, but he doesn't even mention that. Just give me boldness. I'm in chains for the gospel, but it's okay. Lord, give me boldness. You know, the first century church, one of their main prayers was for boldness. You know why? Because they face constant persecution. According to some reports, over 6 million Christians were killed in the first 270 years of the church. Killed for their faith. They didn't pray, Lord, deliver me. But Lord, give me boldness to keep it up. May that be more of our prayer today, amen? Not, Lord, get me out of this mess, but Lord, use this mess for your glory, amen? Now, Lord, deliver me from my circumstances, but in the midst of these circumstances, Lord, may I glorify and honor your name. Lord, you knew this was coming. You're not surprised. 
We should pray seeking God, seeking His power, His strength, His wisdom, His will. Lastly, look at verse 21 through 24. But you may also, you may, you also may know my affairs and how I am doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that you may be that you he may comfort your hearts. Man, I love Paul. Paul's in prison and he wants to comfort them. Doesn't that blow you away? He's in prison. Says, I'm going to send my brother to you that you might be comforted. Here's another thing that helps us stand. Fellowship. Amen? Godly fellowship helps us to stand with the attacks of the enemy. This is agape in action. He's not asking that they would pray for his release, but that he would be bold to share the gospel as he was no doubt about to go before Caesar. He's, I'm getting ready to go before Caesar. The guy can kill me, but you know what? Before he does, he's going to hear Jesus. And I like that. You've got to love the Apostle Paul. Last two verses. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in, in sincerity. Amen. Amen. You know, what a great letter. Amen. He started off with grace and peace and he ended up with grace and peace. And I like that. And look who the grace and peace is for. All those who love our Lord Jesus Christ. If you love Jesus in sincerity, you should have, be walking with, in grace and peace. Amen? Because you know the Prince of Peace and you have nothing to fear. So in closing, winning the spiritual battle, first identify the real enemy. It's not your wife. It's not your boss. It's not your finances. It's the world and the flesh and the devil. By being equipped with the whole armor of God. Guys, if we leave one piece of armor off, the enemy will attack there. And lastly, by tapping into the true sources of energy, spiritual energy, encouragement, and strength for the battle. Where does it come from? It comes from prayer and fellowship with other believers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, that the battle's already been won. We thank You that the last word upon the cross was tetalestai. It is finished. We thank You, Lord, the work is indeed finished. At the same time, Lord, we know that as the battle's been won and we fight from victory, the Lord, while the war is won, there's still those battles in our life every single day. Those temptations that come, those struggles that come, the tools that the enemy would use to draw us away or to make us ineffective for your kingdom. Lord, help us to recognize the source of those trials. Help us, Lord, our temptations. Help us, Lord, to recognize what's going on in our lives and, Father God, to turn to you. Lord, to seek the mighty counselor, to be, again, shielded by faith, have the whole armor of God, walking in truth, Lord. Help us, Father God, to lean not on our own understanding, but be fully reliant upon you. And Father, we do lift up Santa Cruz. Open the eyes of the lost, Father. And Lord, may you use us and the sword that's in our hand to reach out to those who so desperately need your truth. We love you, we praise you, we worship you. We thank you, Lord, that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. 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 Let's stand and close the worship song. We bow our